This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman, chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. Hello, all you good humans. Welcome back to another week of Good Humans Podcast. Far out, I'm so pumped. First week back, it's been a little bit of time off and I'm so, so grateful for all the love we've had. Over 500 downloads in the first 24 hours is something I'm so, so grateful for. And Tilly, you're an absolute legend. I know so many people have given us great feedback about our conversation that it's helped a lot of people and they learned some great things about your life. So thanks to everyone who's tuned in so far. A big thank you to everyone as well who has gone on, given us five stars on Apple Podcasts, left us a review because it means the absolute world to me to know this podcast is getting out far and wide, letting people listen to these amazing, inspiring stories and yeah, hopefully educating and teaching, some, teaching us all some great, great skills that we can take into our life. On to today's episode, I am so excited for this one. Funnily enough, I actually recorded an episode with this guy and we had to scrap it because he went back and reflected on what he chatted to me about and said, you know what, I want to do this again. So I'm very excited that I got a chance to sit back down with him again. This guy is one of my best friends. I hang out with him almost every single day when I'm home on the Gold Coast. But he's also one of the most talented athletes to have ever walked this earth. Eight-time world champion wakeboarder and a guy who has had a life that is far different to so many of us, but he's learned so many amazing things along his journey. He's had some crazy ups and downs that you're going to hear about in this chat. And yeah, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, Harley Clifford. How you going, mate? Yeah, good, man. Good to be back. Hopefully uh, take two is a little bit better. Yeah, the last one was very good, but I did give you the heads up that we could maybe edit some stuff out, but this time I'm editing it, so we're not cutting anything out, so don't stuff up this time. Yeah, I mean, last time we were just talking about a lot of stuff that I haven't reflected on for a long time, so it was just good to kind of have a think about those questions and uh, and like how those times kind of made me feel, and yeah, we'll re-elaborate on it now. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the chat because, like you said, the last chat was good and you got to reflect after it, and you actually told me you went home and wrote a bunch of stuff down, and you're like, we've got to do it again because... Yeah. It's nice to look back on our life sometime, but sometimes we don't look back too often on what we've gone through in our life and the journeys that we've been on. And it sounds like last time we had a chat, you reflected on all that and ready to go again today. Yeah, it was actually a good little like kind of, I don't know, tip to take home from that last chat. Like, because I don't do much reflecting and I haven't kind of prior to that. So uh, yeah, definitely um, since that, I've kind of, it's kind of like every time I do something cool, like I stop, take a second, reflect and then kind of like move on to the next thing. So Thanks right. for uh, teaching me that. All right. So we are back now and let's start all the way back to the start of your story. So where'd you grow up? What was Harley Clifford's life like as a child? And yeah, what's your family life like back then? Yeah, I grew up uh, in Newcastle, Australia, in this small town called Madawi. Um, and yeah, I kind of was out on the boat since like a very early age. I have an older brother and a younger brother and um, and uh, mum and dad, they both water skied. So yeah, we kind of grew up uh, out on the river all the time, going out and uh, and water skiing and tubing and kneeboarding and doing all those sort of things. And uh, 
And then one day we kind of just like picked up a wakeboard and kind of started wakeboarding from there. But yeah, we just kind of grew up as like a solid family and um, enjoyed our boating and just enjoyed our lives. And yeah, I love that. What about your schooling life and that kind of era when obviously primary school, you were still in Australia and we will get into your high school schooling, which is a bit different to most people. But yeah. what was school like growing yeah, up? School, school yeah. life was a little bit different for me uh, compared to most kids. Um, I would go to school like a normal kid and hang out there. And when I got done at the end of the day, most people would be getting on the bus and the parents would be picking up and taking them home or stuff like that. But uh, my dad would just be always waiting there with, uh, with the boat and the truck out the front. And I would just get straight in the truck and we'd go straight down to the river and, and wakeboard all over. How good is that? Did you have lots of mates always try and be like, oh, we're going to Harley's Asavo, Dad, I'm jumping on his car. He's got the boat on the back. Yeah, I definitely had the occasional mate that would jump in with us and come out and do some shredding in the Arvo. One of my good friends, Troy, who, uh, who is someone I'm still close to uh, to this day, um, used to always jump in the car and come out and, and do a little bit of shredding with us. And he, he uh, kind of picked up a little bit of skill on the wakeboard too, but didn't kind of pursue it. But yeah, it was cool. How fun is that? So... You started wakeboarding, you said around six, well, probably younger, I'm guessing. What was that journey into wakeboarding? Obviously, you've had a stellar career, eight world titles, which we will get into that journey. But when was the inception into wakeboarding for you? And what was that experience like as a young kid? Um, yeah, I guess kind of, I don't know. I just, my, my parents skied a lot and it was like natural for us to be out in the boat all the time. So I was always wakeboarding and, and um, I had like an older brother and a younger brother and we would all wakeboard together and we were kind of competitive. Like I never wanted my younger brother to be better than me and I always wanted to be as good as my older brother. So um, yeah, it kind of just like naturally started off that way and then we got into like the competitive scene and all that sort of stuff. And it kind of was like from a very early age, like I was very into wakeboarding, like I was seven years old and kind of already getting recognized on a world stage. So yeah, I guess from like early days in my uh, wakeboarding journey, I kind of I don't know, lived and breathed and I knew that that's what I wanted to do. It's my true passion. So high school, you had a very different experience to your average 12-year-old kid that mm -hmm. comes from Australia. What was your experience like with high school and how different was it? Yeah, I mean, I started high school and I was already kind of like traveling overseas and competing and doing all that sort of stuff. And um, in grade, I was in grade nine, actually the first time that I went and like ventured over to the States and stayed in the States for six months. So basically I just like had to up and leave school for six months. Um, and this is kind of before like distance uh, online education like programs were even available. So my, um, my school teachers got together and we came up with this plan and they literally just gave me like a suitcase full of work. And I just like took it to the States and then every month I would just send like a packet of work back to Australia and um, they would kind of grade it and then email me my, um, my grades. And yeah, I had like a little email connection I could reach out to if I ever needed help and, and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, schooling was a lot different for me, like um, going to the States six months a year and kind of like adapting and having to learn how to motivate myself and keep myself on track to do schoolwork and then coming straight back into school in Australia and just being like slammed by teachers and all that sort of stuff and like where you at how's everything going and uh and learning to like adjust back and forth was quite hard but it was fun yeah so how's that adjusting you obviously didn't have a normal childhood you've kind of lost that with wakeboarding what was your what was it like for you when you came back to school trying to rekindle friendships, trying to re-get back into friendship groups? I know not me, traveling as a professional surfer from high school, there was times I'd go overseas for an event, I'd be away for a month and I'd come back. And one thing I remember super clearly is there'd be like parties and I wouldn't get invited to them and I'd thought it because no one liked me, but then I kind of worked out it was because 
nobody ever knew when I was home or when I was going to be back or not. What was that like for you trying to get back in those friendship circles and keep that going with six months away, which is massive? Yeah, I mean, it was quite hard. And like back in the day, I feel like when I first sort of started this, it was maybe when like Skype was kind of like just around. So like you're not jumping on your phone and Skyping your friends every day, day or second day like FaceTime is now. Mm. So it's kind of easier now to probably keep those uh, relationships alive. But um, yeah, I just kind of have my solid friends that I would like really kind of keep in my network and yeah when I when I would come back from America and get to Australia it was just kind of like nothing ever happened but um I would say like yeah I have like there's definitely few and far between like rock solid friends that I have from like a young childhood just because like how much I was traveling and whatnot it was just kind of hard to keep relationships alive but um I definitely have a couple like solid friends from young a young age and um yeah I mean they're, they're friends that I'll have for life yeah, I love that. It's um, it's tricky. It's tricky with anyone keeping friends from high school, let alone someone who's only there half yeah. a year. So it's great to, and I know a few of your friends. So shout out to those boys. I'm mm-hmm. sure they hopefully have a listen, Reese and all yeah. the other lads. Yeah, um, a couple of solid friends there. Yeah, yeah I love good. that. Um, all right. Obviously, very successful wakeboarding career. When did competing start, and when did your kind of mindset turn into like you know what I can do this as a career? I mean, I guess, like, go back to what I said earlier when I was, like, very young. Like, at, a, at probably the age of seven, I was kind of, like, landing tricks that um, no other kid even under the age of 10 could do. So I started to get recognised on, like, a world stage from, like, a very young age. Um, and I was, like, going over to the States and competing in, like, the under-9s world championships and stuff like that. So um, I guess from, like, a very early, early age, it was kind of, like, game on. Um, but I guess when things like really started to pick up when I was like 12, 13, I started getting sponsors on board. They were actually like paying me money. And you're like a child, like 12 and 13 year olds don't make any money. And mm-hmm. I was like, had like a little bit of an income and all that sort of stuff. And my parents kind of like then took a step back and were like, all right, we need to figure out what's going on. Like we put more effort into Holly's wakeboarding and to feel like making focus on schooling and doing all that sort of stuff. And I'm such a young kid at that time. So it's like, not like my parents just put the decision in my hands. It was like, they kind of like dictated what was going on. But um, I guess we just kind of came to the agreement that um, you can always go back and re-educate and do that sort of stuff. So I like, was kind of like, um, head down, bum up into my wakeboarding and just um, focusing and kind of, and progressing through the ranks from, from like 12, 13 years old. So what do you put down your early success to? Obviously having two brothers must be a big driver, but being a American dominated, well not dominated sport, but predominantly all of your events are in America, Florida's uh, yeah. wakeboarding capital of the world. How does a young Australian kid become so globally recognized from such a young age? What do you put your success down to? Um, to be honest, like I, I think it's more just my, my family. Like they just backed me 110% the whole way. Um, like my dad would pick me up from school every single day and my two brothers and we'd go out in the boat and we'd shred together and we were kind of like always pushing each other and having a good time with it. And, um, and yeah, my mom was like rock solid as well. So yeah, I, I mean, I've put most of my success down, down to my family, but also there's that aspect of like being Australian and not American. And like you said, it's American dominated sport. Um, and knowing that like, if I'm going to prove myself, I need to outprove myself you know i need to be way better than these guys in the states so that kind of made me a little bit hungry and yeah yeah i love that so very successful career when you won when did you win your first world title and what was that like so i know you're pretty young yeah i was quite young um i mean I, i won a couple like junior world championships and all that sort of stuff but i was uh well i guess 15 when i won my first like pro tour overall pro tour 
um, which is pretty nuts. And then, yeah, uh, I didn't win the world overall world championships that year, but then the next year, the following year when I was 16, I did. So yeah, that was pretty, a pretty surreal feeling. I remember, well, I mean, probably the most memorable moment was my first ever US Pro Tour stop. I like hadn't even really competed in any pro events, like a couple in Australia, but never on the big stage in the States. Um, so I didn't really know what to expect. Like I knew I had big tricks and all that sort of stuff. And if it was my day, I could probably match it with a couple of the guys. Um, and yeah, I remember like going into that event, not even being sure if I could make it through the quarterfinals and I made it through the quarterfinals and I like call my parents cause they're back in Australia. I'm like, Hey dad, I made it to the quarterfinals. This is so cool. Um, and then like the next day we had semifinals and I, ended up like progressing through the semifinals into the finals and like even that phone call I was like dad you wouldn't even believe it like I made it to the bloody finals of the pro tour stop um and then the finals later that day so like three hours later I call my dad back and I'm like dad you wouldn't believe it like the results just came in I bloody won the event like and that was like an amazing moment being 15 years old and like taking a massive leap to like give up my schooling and all that sort of stuff to go over to the states and pursue my dream and become a professional wakeboarder um and then obviously like my parents and my family had put in like massive efforts and like backed me 110% the whole way and like financially wakeboarding is like an expensive sport. So mm. they had like put, drained a lot of money into it and all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, to be able to like be 15 and win my first ever pro tour stop in the first event that I, um, I kind of entered in in the States was like when I was like, all right, this is real. Let's do this. Like this mm. is my career. Um, I love this shit. Let's keep it going. Yeah, that's amazing. What, um, were you nervous? Like, do you deal with nerves being young, especially back then? Can you remember much back then how you felt going into those events? Because, yeah, it baffles me. Like, 15, the most kids are at school, like, learning about puberty and learning about yeah. kissing girls, and you're out winning world titles and probably making the same amount of money as the school teachers are in a year's <laughs> wage in a day. What yeah. was that like, dealing with nerves or pressure? Or did you feel like there was none? Um, yeah, I mean, I was definitely like so young in a in a sea of professional wakeboarders that were mid twenties, older, and all that sort of stuff. And I'm 15 years old. Like these guys tower over me. They're men. I'm a child. Um, so I mean, in, in one aspect, like there, I would say like maybe there wasn't as much pressure because I was so young. People are like, oh, Harley's young. He's gonna like come through this and like be good by the time he's like 20 and be winning and all that sort of stuff but I mean yeah I put the pressure on myself because I really wanted to win from like an early young age an early age and I really wanted to prove myself and um and yeah I, I mean I guess the nerve things just uh, you like over time you learn to like deal with it and all that sort of stuff but um the way I look at it it's just like your preparation like if, if you're prepared and you put in 110 percent coming into the event and you're trained and you've kind of done all the hard work then all that, um, all that can happen, it's what happens on the day. Yeah, because yeah. it's an interesting sport, wakeboarding. Maybe for the listeners, can you explain how like a competition works with wakeboarding? Because I know the pressure that must build up going into a finals run must be incredible, especially going into it like top seed, I'm guessing plenty of times, last person to go and you, have, you know what score you need. Can you explain to the listeners how a wakeboarding event works maybe, just so it kind of gives a bit of a rundown on how difficult yeah. it would be to deal with that pressure yeah well i mean uh, different events have like different formats but like the normal format for an event is basically you take off the dock you ride down you do basically five tricks in a row they have like set out buoys so you have to do it within the course zone so basically like you land a trick you edge out you cut back in you have no time to like mess around and all that sort of stuff you do five tricks down and you do five tricks back um you have three judges sitting in the boat and they're basically just judging your um your runoff like execution intensity overall composition so 
how hard your trick is, how you executed it. Was it big? Was it clean? Did you grab it? Did it look good? Um, and then they just come up with like an overall score at the end out of 100. Um, but yeah, going into like a finals, finals format, um, they have like a two run format where you get no falls. Like in the first couple of rounds, you get like one fall and a pickup. So if you fall, you can get back up and like finish your run. But in the finals, you just get, you get two runs, no falls, um, which is cool. Cause you like everyone runs through once and then you see where everyone's at. Like it was your run good. Are you sitting on top? Like who's going to push it and ride harder in the next round? Um, and you kind of kind of go from there, and then hopefully after that second run, you've done a run that, um, that is justifiable to give you the win. Yeah, I love that. What's your th- thought process going into a finals run? Say, do you know every single trick that you're trying to do, and does it change based on other people's runs? Yeah, hundred percent. Like everything's very calculated and like very practiced and routine before you like go out in the contest. Like. Um, I don't normally go out and like train and do runs of like 10 tricks, which is, I mean, you do like five tricks down, five tricks back. So you do 10 tricks, but I would go out like normally and do different lines of like three different tricks. So I know, um, if there's like a, if I need to step it up and someone lays down a heavy run, I can like adapt and pull out these three tricks and be like, all right, I'm going to put these three hammer tricks in there and kind of adapt. And that will put me on top of the podium. And yeah, so everything's like very calculated, very thought out and very like practiced before. Yeah, yeah, nice. All right, so you come back home. You're 16 years old. You've just won a world title. You're back home for the few months. How does a 16-year-old Australian kid who's just won a world title stay humble? And what was your experience like with becoming a superstar at such a young age and being around your friends after being a world title? Do you feel like – I'm sure now you've probably matured a lot differently to back then, but what was that like dealing with the – maybe not fame, but with the – success that you had at such a young age yeah well I mean I guess it was like quite hard for me because I lived in Newcastle um and like I was in grade nine and I um went to the states for six months came back and my parents had moved to um to Queensland so this is like right in the period where I was like just won my first world title and I came back and I was just at this like full new school so I walked into this new school and um, like at first, like no one, no one really knew who I was. But by the end of the day, like a whole school knew who I was and kind of like, I don't know, it, it was like a lot of people were coming up to me and there was like a lot of like just new, new kid at school, like Envy and he's like a world champion wakeboarder, he's super young. And um, I mean, it was like hard, definitely hard to adapt. And I definitely was a bit cocky, but that's where like my brothers and stuff and my brother's friends, like, and my true friends, like would put me in my place. Like, mm. cause to them, like, I'm not Harley Clifford, a world champion wakeboarder. I'm just their brother, Harley. Yeah. And if I'm being a dickhead, you know, they're going to cut me down to size. So yeah, I definitely had like good people that were there to keep me in check. If I ever kind of got a little bit big headed. Yeah. It's so important to have those people around you because yeah. it's so easy, especially being like, young oh, a young yeah, person for with sure. great success making like great money and having yeah. the hype and media and everything around you it is hard to stay humble like don't yeah. get, when I finished high school and I'd done quite well in my junior career far out I look back and I'm like my mindset was so different and so yeah. shit compared to how I think now about stuff and how the world works and oh whatnot. I definitely do like everything changes so much I remember being I mean like thinking about it now and being like some of the stuff I used to do wow how did I get away with that like I'm surprised I still even have friends after saying stuff like that you know but um I mean you live and you learn and you adapt and you grow and yeah we're all humans and we all got to learn and grow yeah yeah definitely so You've had some big injuries in your career. How hard is it to get back from an injury? And what's been your worst one? I know you had a quite a bad one before. Do you want to talk to me about your really bad knee injury? Yeah, I mean, 
to be honest, like uh, I've had like a couple little nagging like shoulder injuries and um, and knee injuries and stuff, but nothing that put me out of wakeboarding for more than like two weeks. Um, but when uh, what year was it? Like twenty six? Yeah, twenty sixteen. I tore my ACL and that was like my first big injury. But um, I, I kind of like. It came at a good time because I'd like won a bunch of world championships. I was really young. And to be honest, like I was like doing so well in all these comps and stuff. And like I wasn't riding as much as I should have been. I was kind of like enjoying it and partying a little bit. And I made it a bit, maybe it was like a little bit chubby. Um, and, and it was good. Like I was kind of had been wakeboarding full on traveling the world since I was 15 years old. Um, and it was like came at the right time where I just needed a break. And it was kind of like a forced break. So it... um like reset the mind and I got, got in with a good trainer and, um, and came back like fitter and stronger than ever. But yeah, I mean, it's like, it's quite hard to, um, to come back from something like that. It's 10 months, like basically off the water, full year of your life, kind of training as hard as you can and, and coming back and while you're like sitting there and I'm so young and so competitive and I'm watching all these other people like win events and not knowing whether I'm going to come back and be able to like fill those shoes again. But, um, yeah, yeah, I guess kind of like, I just put in the work and trained as hard as I could. And actually, like, the day I got back on the board after, like, 10 months of not riding, I reckon I was better than what I was the day before I hurt my knee. So uh, it was cool to see, like, all the hard work and stuff pay off. And then, yeah, going back into my first event after after an injury, that first run, actually, that I did, I my goal was, like, I remember the day I got hurt, I was like, the next competition I do, I'm double flipping first trick in that competition. And yeah, sure enough, like coming to that first comp and I'm like, should I do it? Should I do it? Hit the bag, double into tantrum, perfect. And then I laid down the rest of my run, got back to the dock and all the judges were like, oh, Harley's back. <laughs> and, um, and they gave me a perfect hundred. So that was sick. Yeah, yeah. that's, I had that written down because I know that part of the story. It's such a awesome thing. When you had that injury, do you feel like there was a certain moment where your mindset shifted? Like you said, You'd had great success. You kind of got maybe comfortable with that success. You're partying a bit. Yeah. The injury obviously was a bit of a wake up call to maybe shift a few things that you do in your life. Yeah. Was there a certain moment or a certain person that really helped you through that mindset shift to come back stronger and to come back and score a hundred in your first run back? Yeah, definitely. I um I worked with this trainer. I teamed up with this trainer that. Um, his name's Taylor Cecil. He's on the Gold Coast, and um, yeah, he's he's been amazing to me. But yeah, I um I just kind of saw him through Jack Freestone and Alana Blanchard's Instagram, and I saw that like Jack had a knee injury at the time, and he was working with this guy Taylor, and I was looking for a trainer on the Gold Coast, so I just reached out to him via Instagram, and um yeah, I remember like going in and going in and talking to him for the first session. He sat me down for like five hours, and we just ran through my story and where I was at and like what was going on with my injury and. Um, he really kind of like helped me reset and refocus. And I guess you get caught up like being so young and like being on top of your sport and like on top of the world or whatever, um, in like the, the, I don't know, the partying and like making a bit of money and doing all that sort of stuff. But he really helped me like kind of get down to my core and just kind of rethink and reset the mind on like why I love wakeboarding, why I'm doing this. And that kind of like built the hunger again and got me going. Yeah. I love that. And it's so important for anybody in any industry having those mindset shift and having those people around you who can really bring clarity to your why yeah. and to your purpose because mm -hmm. so often success does bring a lack of effort almost. So it's yeah. important to have that reset and it's so cool that you did find that and you came back so strong. Yeah. 
there's always a story that the public generally don't know behind a top athlete that's been difficult. And I've spoken to you before about this and you said you're happy to share. Tell me about what's, what happened through that middle part of your career with your brother. Yeah. So actually that was well, before the day that I um, did that like perfect run and did the double knee tantrum first trick. And I was like, just coming back from my knee injury. Um, my, well, my brother had kind of been diagnosed with a, we didn't quite know, like he was in and out of hospital, a little bit sick and whatnot. And then I was down at that competition and, um, I was like getting ready for the finals. And I guess like he had, uh, a seizure in his car and I had no idea. So I like, am like about to go compete in the finals. Everything's good. I go like compete in the finals. Um, I get done and like someone hands my phone. He's like, Hey, I got to, uh, your dad wants to talk to you. And he's like, um, Ethan's like health is not doing very good. Like Ethan's my younger brother. Um, and we're very close. So yeah, his health wasn't doing that good. He's just had a seizure. Um, he's in the ICU. Um, you need to get home. And I was like, Oh shit. Like I was on the podium, had tears in my eyes, like on the podium. I didn't even know what to do. Like I was very short with everyone and was just like, guys, I gotta go. So like I get on a plane, fly home, um, come back to my brother in ICU and he had been diagnosed with a disease called FSGS, which is focal segmental glomosclerosis. So basically he has like scarring of the kidneys and his kidneys can't process protein. So um, his body would like fill up with fluid and he would get like really crazy edema. At one point he was holding like 30 pounds of fluid. So 15 kilos of fluid, um, which is crazy. And the doctors couldn't really like figure out what was going on. They couldn't figure out the medication that would, um, that would work to treat, treat him because everyone's different and they honestly don't really know much about this disease. Um, and they basically went like A to Z in medication options. So it was like six months of like testing different medications and they finally got him to like a point where he was stable. He wasn't like uh, every time he would leave the hospital, like fill up with fluid. He wasn't doing that anymore. Um, but yeah, like his, his kidney functionality progresses and it gets worse and worse and worse over the time. And eventually he'll have to go on dialysis and get a kidney transplant. And, um, and yeah, it's just, it's not a good thing for his health. It like attacks him in so many different ways. His immune system is very low and like this whole COVID situation has been very scary mm. for like his sense while this has been going on. So, um, yeah, that was like a very kind of like tough thing for me to deal with. Like no one, I mean, it's hard enough to have it like. Uh, I mean, someone that you're related to to be have like an illness or whatnot, but um, it's like a younger brother and like mm. the kid that I love the most. And yeah, I mean, it's just tough to do with. Yeah. Yeah. And, and something yeah. I want to touch on being a young professional athlete, all the world's looking at you like you've got this perfect life. Yeah. How hard is it to carry that? I don't know. I don't know if guilt's the right word, but like you've got this perfect life living the dream. Yeah. Whereas your brother's back at home dealing with this illness and your family's going through such tough times. How hard was that being an athlete to want to especially because you'd already have success was there moments where you wanted to quit and just be with the family at that stage yeah for sure I mean not so much quit but like yeah I mean that was the start of the season so I was about to like jet off and go to the America for six months which I did um but that was like very hard I remember like leaving at the airport and just being like I can't go like I can't leave my family and my little brother um while he's kind of like going through this stuff so um, but yeah, I mean, my family, they love me and they support me. And I had amazing conversations, with my younger brother and my family. And they were like, you got to do this. This is your job. This is your life. This is your passion. Like mm. get over there. I'll be more stoked if you're over there, like winning and having fun and, and, um, and kind of doing what you need to be doing rather than just being back here, hanging out with me. So I went over there and they, they were very supportive and, um, and yeah, but there was so many moments where I was just kind of like, 
I would just get to a point like in my head, I was like, can't deal with this. I need to get home. Like my brother's back in hospital. Like this is bloody crazy, you know? Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's when I kind of would reach out to my friends and my family, especially my mom and, and, uh, and have conversations with them. And they would kind of be like, he's okay. We got him. We're here for him. Like you just stay over there and you do your thing and, um, and you'll be back. Like you'll be fine when you get home. So, um, yeah, I had like great support for my family and friends and, and, um, and vice versa like I'm over there like just doing whatever I can to support my little brother so yeah like there must have been moments when you were yourself obviously going through some stuff how hard was it to not project like we've spoken about this before like not to project how you're feeling to make I don't know how to explain this but to not make it about you because I've spoken to you about it and you're like it sucked there's times where I just needed support because I was struggling because it's such a hard thing for me to deal with but you can't really project it back on your family because I feel like people go through this all the time where you feel guilt that somebody else is going through something but you can't really let them know that you're struggling a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, also, you just want to be tough for that person. Like, my mm. younger brother, like, I don't want to, like, call him up and be like, dude, I'm so worried about you and all that sort of stuff. Like, I'm calling him up to, like, stoke him out and have a good yeah. conversation with him and, and kind of do that sort of stuff. But, um, I mean, that's when it's, it's, like, really important to reach out. I mean, maybe not to that person but to other people who mm. are related and... and um, and kind of care about you and ha- have the conversation with them be like i'm not i'm not doing that well like i need your help right now and and um and project your your um feelings on them and and yeah yeah no it's great and i know you have such great friends and family around you to support you through that was that a massive perspective check for you when you've probably had like this i mean from the sounds of it this great life up to this point almost where you've won world titles you've been overseas you've had this amazing life was that a big perspective check that life's not all about wakeboarding life's not all about 100 kind of success yeah and i mean in that moment like everything was just wakeboarding like mm. i was a kid so like i was just like wakeboard 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 i don't care about anything else that's all i want to do and then yeah something like that happens and it kind of puts everything in just perspective and like i mean you everyone has all these like little tiny things going on in their lives that to, to them like matter a lot but like you look at the bigger picture and what other people are going through um and kind of i don't know you can kind of put everything into perspective and maybe like these little problems that i have going on now and then aren't as bad as what i think they are and Mm. i can overcome these and and push forward because there's a lot of people out there going through a lot a lot tougher bigger crazier things and um and yeah they're they're still trooping on and getting through things and and still happy with life so yeah i love that it sounds like you've obviously built so much resilience through those difficult times in your life as we all do and it's so important just to keep trudging on through those difficult times because there's always light at the end of the tunnel and yeah hopefully i mean i know your brother's doing okay now which is great to hear and yeah hopefully this covid stuff pisses off and we can get rid of that i know dude we need to get back on track don't we yeah Yeah. but did your motivation change at all after that kind of point in your life the motivation with wakeboarding and the motivation with where you wanted your career to go um i wouldn't say the motivation changed so much at that point like i was still motivated and i was still coming back from the injury and i still wanted to win a couple more world titles and had a couple more things in my bucket list in my wakeboard career that i wanted to um to accomplish um i mean i guess we're probably going to talk about it soon but the when life really did change is when like we got married and had a baby that's when everything shifted and motivation changed and yeah yeah, let's talk about that. What's um what's been going on in the last twelve months? So you've retired from competitive wakeboarding. Do you want to talk about what was that like trying retiring from competitive wakeboarding yeah. when you're still what you're twenty seven when you retired? Yeah. Well I mean I wouldn't sound like fully done yet. I might might reemerge and go out and do a couple of comps here and there if I if I'm feeling it. Um but yeah, I mean it was kinda of just came in an awkward time when like COVID 
was kind of happening and then um georgina my wife was pregnant we we're in australia and i was about to jet off to the states to like go compete for the season and covid kind of fell into place and we couldn't really go to the states so i um i stayed back in australia and um and yeah i just enjoyed the pregnancy and the kind of um all that sort of stuff with my wife and then we had a beautiful baby girl named elodie um what we're like 16 months on now so yeah so yeah it's been a, it's been a wild ride since then i mean I, uh, I went, kind of packed up and went over to the States this year for four months, um, not to compete, but, but to like catch up with all my sponsors and kind of get busy with all those guys. And, and um, I mean, I'm a, I have a family now. So mm. yeah, kind of that motivation kicks in. You're like, I need, to, I need to fight for my family. I need to feed my family. I need to put uh, food on the table and uh, make sure that my um, little girl has opportunities for the rest of her life. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of like re-motivated me in a different way. And yeah, not so much the competitive drive, but now like stepping outside of that kind of world and working alongside sponsors with products and um, and kind of like sales and marketing and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's been a cool little journey the last the last two years. So dad life, biggest achievement of your life, you think? Oh, 100%. <laughs> that like that put on my prior accomplishment. Fuck. Yeah. That put all my prior accomplishments into perspective. Eh? It's like you win all those world titles and you do all this cool stuff, but then, like, I mean, it's like any parent says you, you don't know until you're a parent, but like, you don't know what like true love is and what that feeling is until you're like seriously just sitting there holding your like baby girl or baby boy in your arms. That's when like everything gets put in perspective and, and your life all of a sudden doesn't matter as much. Mm, it's so beautiful, and obviously being great friends with you it's i've got to share that journey i was here for the first for l's first christmas actually that was that, that was so fun. cool like, right uh, here in this house yeah, dude. Right yeah. here, recording this podcast right now so yeah that's, um that's been a cool journey i'm gonna get close to the end of this podcast but i want to touch on a few things the last 12 months since we've become friends i feel like we've had a crazy year and a half what's your experience been like with the new friendship group that we've kind of formed on the Gold Coast the last uh, 12 months with the sort of people that we have around. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, like I um, met yourself and Alex Hayes. Um, we met like at a crazy unfortunate event at one of our um, friends' wakes, which was quite sad. But um, yeah, I mean, kind of we met and kicked it off straight away. I remember like uh, that first night we all had like an amazing time. We're like, hey boys, let's bloody catch up tomorrow and do something and, and kind of... Um, as like everything's kind of changed and I've gotten into surfing and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You guys kind of just came around at like the perfect time and we kicked it off and now we have like an amazing friend group. Uh, not only like you and Alex, but I mean, Corey Tunison and, and so many others, you know, we all just kind of hang out and it's hard to be like a professional athlete and, um, fit in with people that have like normal jobs and all that sort of stuff. You know, they're working five, six days a week, nine to five and don't really have time to do much. So, I mean, I found myself so long there, like for so long there, just kind of being like, what do I do every day? Like I go wakeboard, I'm done. That only took half an hour. Now I'm just sitting here doing doing nothing. So um, it's cool to have like like-minded friends that are in a similar position and have the time to go do cool things and um, have fun and enjoy enjoy our days and our lives. And and yeah, it's been it's been really cool kind of like coming together with, um, with a, a group of friends that kind of... Um, I don't know, we all go through ups and downs and stuff and we all kind of get together and we actually talk about like things we're going through and our mm. mental health and, and things that I wouldn't have done in the past. So yeah, it's been been amazing kind of um, joining forces with you guys and becoming friends and just kind of like exploring, um, I don't know, the different avenues of mental health and, and kind of what I can do to improve mine and, and be a better better human in the long run. Yeah. Good, good humans podcast. That's exactly. why you're here, mate. Yeah. <laughs> so 
What's um What's the next couple of years in store for Harley Clifford? What do you got going on? What are you excited for? What are your goals for the next couple of years? Um, yeah, I mean, the next couple of years is just all about like settling down and like adjusting my career at the moment so I can spend more time back in Australia. So um, we can kind of have like a stable a stable life with me and my wife and our baby. And um, I mean, who knows? Might throw another kid there in the future in the mix. You never know. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm just enjoying the family life at the moment, enjoying different like little business avenues that I'm going down and um and yeah just still trying to wakeboard and enjoy that I mean I don't want to ever leave that uh that world I really love wakeboarding and the community and everything about it so yeah just kind of keeping keeping that going and just enjoying the rest yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to a couple of wakeboard sessions this summer once the new boat rocks up so yeah dude. very grateful that you always take me out but the last question I always give to all of my guests is what does being a good human mean to Harley Clifford um, being a good human to me is just someone who cares about others, looks out for others, um, would take the shirt off their back to help anyone, um, and just spreads positive vibes, takes the time to talk to their friends and reach out and ask if they're doing okay. Um, even just random things like seeing someone at the grocery store or something, it's not looking like they're doing that well, just reach out to them, have a chat with them and, mm. and yeah, yeah, just try and like do whatever you can to um give a positive outlook on life and try and help anyone else who's not doesn't have that positive outlook on life kind of yeah i love that and you definitely bring that energy to our friendship group you're always willing to do as much as you can to help us all out and put smiles on all of our faces so i'm very grateful for you and very grateful for this little podcast chat i hope everyone's enjoyed getting to know harley clifford a bit better and yeah thanks for listening everyone yeah thanks for having me on here stoked we could um rekindle and get this thing done again thank you very much Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.